Well, hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Well, we're continuing our series on stewardship, and today we're gonna to be talking about how we're stewarding our relationships. Friends, there are times in pastoral ministry when you have to preach to yourself before you can preach to your congregation or the community of faith that you find yourself with. Have you ever felt that? Maybe you have felt that not necessarily communicating God's word on a stage, but have you ever felt that maybe in your Bible readings or when you're in small group with people and you hit a certain topic or even when you're uh, just in conversation with people and you kind of get to that moment where you're like, ooh, like I, I don't know if I want to talk about that yet. Like I need to preach that to myself first. Well, on varying levels in pastoral ministry, this has to happen all the time. You know, you can't lead someone somewhere where you haven't gone yourself. But there are certain times and moments where this is just like painfully true and it's uh, maybe a little bit more kind of pertinent in your life. Well, I had this moment when I got a text about our stewardship series that we've been in for the past couple of weeks, where I got a text from Pastor Lisa and it was outlining kind of the topics we were tackling and then who was tackling each topic. And I got this topic of relationships and I realized that uh, this is a place where I need to preach to myself. Now, often in the church, we hear about uh, stewarding or, or um, making sure we're fostering and maintaining our relationships as it pertains to marriage. And this is with good reason, of course. Apart from your relationship with God, marriage is or should at least be the most intimate, profound, and shaping relationship that you will have if you do get married. But I think that we're missing maybe sometimes a shade of stewarding our relationships that isn't often talked about as commonly or as intentionally as marriage. You know, I think that we as kind of the big C church have maybe under-prioritized preaching and teaching about friendship. Where yes, I'm sure if you've been to church before, maybe as a kid or as a, a youth student, that you would have heard about friendships and the importance of them all the way through kids ministry or in youth group. But then when you kind of become an adult, it's kind of like that teaching or that uh, emphasis kind of stops, or at least it, it decreases um, quite a bit. And I wonder, you know, people around us are lonely. They're feeling isolated. Uh, they're feeling a profound sense of, of being disconnected from a face-to-face -face person. And I wonder if all of that is happening uh, both in and out of the church, because maybe we haven't talked about friendship with the same sense of intention as other relationships. Because the church should be the one uh, who models the way of Jesus, who models the way of, of what the Bible values. And we see that the Bible does value friendship. And we model that to ourselves, and we also model that to the world. And so I wonder if all of this is happening part, partially because maybe we haven't preached about friendship uh, with the same intention as other relationships. Well, we're in our stewardship series, like I said, and each week we've kind of taken a dial check. You know, if you aren't quite sure what I'm talking about right now, uh, I'd encourage you to go back to our very first uh, message on stewardship that Pastor Lisa talks about, because she talks about the dial in there. But we've been doing a dial check of how, how we've been stewarding this life that God has given us. So where is your gauge as it pertains to your friendships? 
Where is your gauge? Is it something that's in the red where it's just overwhelming and too much and uh, you are kind of at your bursting point? Is it maybe in the white where that's a part of your life that maybe needs some injection uh, in order to get to kind of a healthy green spot? Now, when we talk about this, I don't really wanna get prescriptive. You know, it can be easy to feel like we need to give you like a very certain number or whatever, but the reality is researchers have been trying to figure out for decades of what kind of the optimal amount of friendships that you have in addition to your marriage, uh, if that applies to you, that we should have as humans. But they've never come to a conclusive answer. And Pastor Lisa said in a couple of weeks ago in that first um, that first set of our series, that God gives us all that we have knowing our capacity. That he gives us everything that we have in this life knowing our capacity. And I think that is exactly true of our friendships as well. So as I've just invited us into a moment of reflection of how we're stewarding our re relationships and particularly our friendships, I want to encourage you or maybe uh, drop a sense of pressure that there is no perfect or, or wrong number of friends that you have, except for the number zero. Because the reality is we all need friendship. But how are you stewarding yours? As I took stock in my life over the past couple of weeks, I realized that I was guilty. To be honest, I am somebody who's not great at friendship. You know, there are those people who are so good at keeping up and catching up and setting aside time aside intentionally and, and pursuing their friends um, even when they're not themselves. But this is an area of my life that if I'm being honest, I'm not great at. You know, I'm a person of proximity. So if there are people near me, it's good, but I'm, I'm a very bad long distance friend. Now I could give you all sorts of things about that. I could say, well, I'm an introvert. Uh, I could say that my personality is such that I don't have a really high threshold of need for a lot of friends, but the reality is that these are simply excuses. You know, I tried that over the past couple of weeks and I realized that they were all just excuses because it's challenging on either end of the spectrum. For us introverts, um, I think that we struggle with forming and maintaining enough relationships. But on the flip side, for the extroverts, you know, I think often they struggle with friendships being really wide, but not always very deep. And as I prayed and as I reflected and as I studied, I realized something important about friendship. And that realization is actually what's going to guide us today as our main th thing. So if you're writing anything down, write this one thing. So stewarding our friendships is the antidote to shallow discipleship. Because I realized, yes, that friendship is God's way of filling our innate need as humans for connection and, and for intimacy. But it's also one of his primary ways, I think, of discipling us or of journeying with us to look more and more like Jesus each day. You know, as I was researching, I came across an interesting article from the New York Times. that says, how many friends do you really need? And this is a quote from it. It says, three decades ago, 3% of Americans told Gallup pollsters that they had no close friends. In 2021, an online poll put it at 12%. About a year into the pandemic, 13% of women and 8% of men aged 30 to 49 said they lost touch with most of their friends. Now, when we read that, that's not just that, that number, those percentages are not just less friends than they'd want. It's not a number of less friends than what is average or a percentage on how many don't have deep friendships. 
but it's how many people have no friends at all. If this was a statistic that measured maybe a different sort of health metric, it would be an emergency. They would form teams, they would form researchers, they would form uh, like responses to this emergency. But the reality is it is an emergency. It is an emergency that there are this many people uh, that are in our world that don't have any friends at all. Because having deep, meaningful friendship, it's proven over and over and over to be an important part of our overall wellness. And I would add as a person of faith that I think it's important to our overall journey of faith. And so today we're gonna look at what the Bible says about friendship. Maybe what it is and isn't, and how God gives us his gift of friendship, no matter our age or our stage, as his good plan for our life and his good plan for our discipleship. And so we're going to jump into a, pa a couple of passages today. Um, but before we do that, let's quickly pray. Well, God, we thank you that uh, you model what unity looks like in the way that you interact as God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God, I pray that um, we would just realize that you give us friends as a gift. You give us friends as a means of shaping and sharpening us. And God, that you value a community in our lives. You've built it into our DNA. And so God, I pray that we would uh, develop the same desire and value that you have for friendships, both in, in concept and in action. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this journey of faith that you brought us on. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to turn first to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We're going all the way to the beginning. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, as I encourage you to go there, we would love to give you one. So if you live in our region here uh, in Powell River, we would love to give you one, like a physical copy. So you can go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, fill out a form there, we'll get you one. We were able to hand out one to somebody last week, uh, which is just such a joy. But if you want just a digital copy as well, you can go to that same place and find uh, the way to download it there. So we're going to jump into the first part of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 because I think it frames our discussion on stewarding our friendships or, or even why we need friendships. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, when we've read this, oftentimes we've attributed obviously this to marriage because the direct application that God brings is that uh, fulfilling of that need is Eve, Adam's companion. But I think it also speaks to a broader application of our innate need for connection with others, including our friends. Because this moment was before the fall. This was before Adam and Eve had sinned, before uh, it had entered the world. And so they were living in the perfect, perfect design for humanity, untainted by sin. And his desire, God's desire for us was to be in community. Because a need for community is innate to us being image bearers of God, that we carry, carry that image of God imprinted and implanted in each one of us as humans. And so we see that that need for community is actually part of us being image bearers of God because we've seen it in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're all unified together. There's a sense of community modeled there, um, even like all before time had even started. So whether you are the most introverted person you've ever known, or whether you're the most extroverted, we all need connection and we all need community. It is part of God's design for us. And I think we don't just need shallow community, we need deep community as well. And I think God gives us that in a number of ways, including the gift of the people around us that we call friends. 
And as we look at the Bible, I think there's examples of, of friendship all across the Bible. But I think one of the best and maybe most profound is the story of David and Jonathan. And so we're going to turn to 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to 4. This is what it says. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And so here we see this beautiful moment of a friendship being created. And it's against all odds that was a friendship that was born between David and Jonathan because Jonathan was the heir apparent to the throne since he was the son of King Saul. Um, but we see David uh, before this moment as the one that God had anointed already to become king after Saul. And so you could see maybe the beginning of some tension points potentially there. Um, and Saul knew that David would become king. He had realized that uh, the mantle had, of his kingship spiritually had already been removed. Um, and he already had started his descent into a jealous fit of rage after David kills Goliath. And yet we see a powerful image of friendship between these two unlikely people, David and Jonathan. And scripture says that it wasn't just this like hangout moment, but it says that their souls were knit together. That's a pretty like incredible picture, is it not? And this happens as Jonathan hears David speaking to Saul. Just defeated Goliath, Saul asks him about his family. He says, talks about it and talks about some of his heart. And Jonathan hears David share this with Saul. And then they begin this friendship. There's a sense of connection that happens between them that is profound, the knitting of their souls together, but is also kind of like almost simple and organic. Um, and C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, says this. He says, it is when two such persons discover one another, when, whether with immense difficulties and semi-articulate fumblings, or with what would seem to us amazing and elliptical speed, they share their vision. It is then that friendship is born, and instantly they stand together in an immense solitude. Well, as we hear that quote, I think what C.S. Lewis is trying to say is that friendship begins kind of as this random occurrence. You know, oftentimes it's just these two people meeting and, and discovering kind of who they are and whatever. It begins as this random occurrence, but I think it is sustained through dedicated commitment. I had a professor in college that uh, said in one of my classes that we are constantly spiraling away from intimacy from each other. Um, and, and I don't think they meant it as bleak as it sounded initially to me. Um, but what I think it, they meant by that is that we are constantly moving away from intimacy, from our friends, from our relationships. And so we need to be people that are dedicated to continuing to foster that sense of intimacy. And this friendship between Jonathan and David wasn't just intellectual, it wasn't just extracurricular, but it was a sense of emotional connection too. Their souls were knit together. Like that's a pretty um, important and, and profound connection that they had made. Now, I think that primarily on the whole, guys kind of suck at this. <laughs> uh, and, and hear me out, like it's not all of them, it's not all of us that, that are not great at this, but you know, we have a lot of things that we do shoulder to shoulder, whether that's a hobby, whether that's a project, whether that's something ahead of us. Um, and I think that's important, um, but I think that we are lacking a little bit in the emotional connection that we share with each other. And I think it has a lot to do with sometimes the expectations of men to be strong and that strong has been convoluted to mean um, like without emotion or not sharing that or not sharing a weakness or showing that. Um, so guys, I think that we have uh, 
a little bit of extra work to do in this. But the reality is we need that emotional connection as much as we need kind of that extracurricular or common interest connection as well. And we see uh, Jonathan and David in this moment go so far as to make a covenant of friendship together. Now, I wouldn't say I would necessarily prescribe this. I think it's a little bit weird for us in modern society. You don't necessarily like sit down across the table and be like, hello, friend, let's make a covenant of friendship together. Seems a little um, like if you want to lose a friend or, or be seen as kind of strange, then do that. Um, so I don't think that that's necessarily what we do as friends now. But when we look at kind of the overarching understanding of covenant in the ancient world, it is this idea of a sustained commitment of two parties to uphold both ends of their agreement or else break the contract. In a biblical sense though, um, that commitment is all still true, but it isn't just between two parties. It's actually between three, one party, the other, and God at the center of it. And so this commitment between David and Jonathan of, of friendship, of, of commitment to each other, wasn't flippant. It may have started um, as a random occurrence, but it wasn't a flippant sustaining of that friendship. It was intentional. It was honest. It was open. There were expectations obviously shared. And this is, I think, how we should be in our friendships as well. You know, there are those friends that are united chiefly by common interest. And those are good and meaningful friends for us to have, whether believers of Jesus or not. We need to have people that we obviously share common interest with. But I think there's also an importance of having a friend or a friend that are united by your shared commitment to Jesus, to walk in his ways, to grow in who you are becoming in him, and to do that together. It's a sense of commitment to be in someone's corner. That if we were to envision a boxing ring, for instance, they are not the referee who's kind of managing the fight, managing both sides and making sure everything is, you know, unbiased on either side, but rather they're the champion in the corner where you sit down, where you're battered and broken and bruised, that helps guide, that helps heal, that helps direct one fighter and not necessarily the other. That doesn't mean you're in animosity with the other person, but it means you've made a commitment to that one. Now, I would say that being in someone's corner doesn't mean that there's no sense of accountability. It doesn't mean that there's not disagreement or conflict, but rather I think there's a sense of commitment even when it's hard, even when someone is fighting through something, even when somebody makes a poor choice at a jab and they miss and they get uppercut in the process. You know, I think being in somebody's corner isn't just about being a yes man, but it means telling them the truth even when it hurts them because you are, are valuing truth in their life and in your friendship over enabling them by your yes. You know, it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse six, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And then later in that same chapter in verse 17, it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Well, what we see in these Proverbs is that in our friendships, we do need to be willing to hurt them in order to fight for truth in their life. There is a sense of truth telling that needs to happen. Now that doesn't mean that we're reckless with the truth. It doesn't mean we're reckless with how we speak it. Uh, it doesn't give us a license to be unkind because we're being honest. But I think that what it does mean is that we will stand on that truth as part of our commitment to our friends, that we're willing to tell them the truth even when it hurts, because we know that there is greater value in them fighting with for truth than just enabling them with a yes. 
because we see that when we do that, it brings a sharpening. It brings a sharpening. It, it hews off some of those rougher edges, which is just simply another word for discipleship. Because when there is somebody in your corner, there is a strength that you don't have on your own. There is a shaping that can't happen if you choose to fight in solitude. And when God is part of the commitment, it means there is a unity that comes from the Holy Spirit as we are knit together with our friends. You know, scripture shows the power of friendship in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 to 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. When you have somebody in your corner, it does mean that you will be greater than the sum of your parts. That your discipleship will be deeper than the sum of you doing it on your own. And when united with God, you are not easily broken. A three-stranded uh, cord. And so we see that friendship is about, stewarding our friendships is about commitment. Stewarding our friendships is also the antidote to shallow discipleship. You know, there's a popular uh, aphorism or saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We need people in our corner. And we also need to be people who are in others' corner. Because we can only go so far in our journey of discipleship alone. Because God never meant for us to walk out our faith in isolation. This is why friendship matters. This is why uh, intentionality and stewarding our friendship matters because it leads to a depth and length of discipleship that we could never see on our own because it mirrors a commitment to one another that God actually first showed us in his unfailing faithful commitment to you and I that Jesus talks about uh, no longer do I call you slaves or servants but friends. Jesus invited us into that friendship while we were still against him and while we still uh, made mistakes toward him and so that's why stewarding our friendship matters, because it leads to this depth and length of discipleship that reflects God's heart for his people. And as we take stock of how we steward our friendships, who's in your corner? Who's in your corner? And I think maybe a more important question is whose corner are you in? Who is committed to you when it's easy, hard, and messy? Who are you committing to in those moments as well? Because friendships help deepen our discipleship because they allow us to go further and deeper than we could ever on our own. Craig Rochelle uh, has a popular saying that I think sums this up so well. To show me our, your friends and I'll show you your future. Can I encourage you that if you don't have someone in your corner, no shame. You know, I think there are moments where we've all been there. But can I encourage you, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Choose to reach out, choose to be that friend first because you will go further and deeper in your life than you can imagine when you determine to be somebody who is in others' corners and when you walk out friendship by allowing others in yours. Because stewardship of our relationships means commitment. It may slow us down, but it will deepen and further our journey to look more and more like Jesus each day. And I think it's God's best for each of us. Well, let's jump back into the story of David and Jonathan. Uh, in 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. 
Now, again, this is kind of a cultural thing that is removed from our current culture because the removal of a robe and an armor by um, somebody who was princely was the acknowledgement that they were then going, like that the person that was wearing that was the rightful heir to the throne. So by Jonathan doing this, he was acknowledging that David, not himself, was the rightful heir to the throne after Saul. And this is an act of honor towards David, as Jonathan acknowledged without ambition, without pretense, who David was to become. And I think this is such an incredible display of honesty and honor toward David. Because remember, Saul had already been, uh, Saul had already had the spiritual mantle of king removed. And the consequence was that his line would not remain on the throne. And so David already had been anointed as the king and he had proven and shown his courage, his leadership, and his trust in God uh, while he had defeated Goliath all on his own. And so for Jonathan to acknowledge this by removing his robe and his armor and all those things, he was acknowledging who David was to become. And Jonathan stood in that moment, not as heir apparent, not as prince, but simply as himself, Jonathan, without title, without pretense, and without distinction. And he was willing to do so with David, who should have been his greatest threat. And yet his commitment to their friendship overshadowed what could have been ambition, what could have been vanity, and even what should have been rightfully his. And I think this paints a pretty clear and beautiful picture of what friendship does. Because as we journey through life, we too wear armor. I think our natural inclination is to be afraid of showing ourselves as we are without pretense. Because we're afraid of judgment. Because we've been hurt before in the past. Because maybe we're holding on to shame. Maybe we don't like certain parts of us. And so what we do is we put on armor to kind of shield those parts, those vulnerable aspects of our lives. And we do so as a means of self-preservation. Now, I do want to just take a moment that as much as this is about self-preservation and, and as much as we wear that armor to hide, I think there's also sometimes wisdom and sometimes having your guard up because there are some people who are not mature enough to walk out uh, your life with grace and wisdom with you and with themselves. Um, because sometimes these guards that we put up are for other safety. You know, having boundaries is healthy, it's wise. It's important to protect you and actually even the other person. But there are some people that we need to remove that armor with. Jonathan was willing to stand before David and honor him as he was a committed and mature friend. Because to remove the armor that we have worn so, for so long is scary. It is, I acknowledge that, it's vulnerable. It leaves us standing with no defense. It's incredibly exposing, but that is exactly what friendship is. It's standing before somebody and removing the armor that we put on so that somebody can know us just as we are. With our flaws, with our blind spots, our dark areas, and we do so without hiding, and they love us in spite of all of that. You know, so I, I say it often to our high school students, but I think it's important sometimes for us to know and hear too. You know, not everybody needs to know your stuff. To remove your armor for everybody is unwise, but at least someone does need to know your stuff. Not everybody needs to know your stuff, but someone does. Somebody needs to know your dark parts, the still in progress parts of you, your weaknesses, your failures, 
because friendship is an avenue of discipleship and the road to discipleship is paved on vulnerability and honesty. And it is out of that heart, it is out of that attitude that we can grow, that we work through our blind spots and the tough spots, and that we truly do look more and more like Jesus each day. I understand the risk, and I understand the trepidation that can sometimes come from taking off our armor. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. If you're here and you're waiting for that other person to be vulnerable, you might be waiting for a long time or maybe even forever. You know, you might need to model the way of Jonathan and give that friend the gift of being second. What I mean by that is some of us need to take that risk and step out in true vulnerability first, rather than waiting for the other person to do so. Stewarding our friendship sometimes means taking the risk and going first, taking the risk of being vulnerable so that you can both grow deeper in relationship and grow deeper in discipleship, because that is one of our human needs is to be known and fully understood. But friends, I've seen a trend that I think we need to drop, and I think it's this trend of curated vulnerability, where we kind of neatly and tidily and nicely pack our moments up so that we can deliver them to people as if it's authentic. And while I think there's wisdom in sharing with certain people in a way that is wise and prudent of when and how much, true vulnerability in our friendships demands that we drop the curated vulnerability. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this on social media, but I think we often do this in our lives as well, at least I do. You know, I have a friend that I talk with regularly and he's someone who is uh, not willing for me to settle for anything but God's best for my life. Um, and he has this incredible gift of like seeing through those moments where I'm withholding. We were FaceTiming once and he was asking me about how I was doing and I totally gave him a pat answer. Like I totally just smoothed it over because in truth I was anxious, I was struggling, I was operating in my stress behavior of pulling away from important friendships. But I told him I was all right. You know, it's, it's a little tough, but that's all right. And I gave him this incredibly underrepresented idea of what was going on in my life. And he looked at me in the eyes and he, he, and he said, you and I both know that's not true. Now this time, tell me the truth. And it was a moment where I realized I was curating my vulnerability and it wasn't serving me at all. It wasn't serving me to get the help and support I needed. It wasn't serving him and being open with our friendship. It didn't allow him or me to have somebody walk alongside me in the way that I needed. Because after I was honest, you know what he did? He encouraged me when I couldn't see any encouragement. He shared scripture with me when I was believing lies in my life. He followed up with me to see how I was doing afterward because he cares about how I was doing and he asked honestly. Curating our vulnerability isn't vulnerability at all. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it's a false humility. It's kind of a sense of deception. And so stewarding our friendships by being vulnerable is the antidote to shallow discipleship because it allows for people to walk alongside of you in truth and in light rather than hiding parts of ourselves and never find the freedom that we were looking for. You know, one of our chief desires as humans, like I said, is to be fully known and accepted. And this is the gift that we give by walking in vulnerability with our friends and with our friendships. Well, as we jump back into the story of David and Jonathan, we see that there's a great, that there's great sacrifice throughout their friendship because stewarding our friendships is a sacrifice. 
But the most profound, I think, is when David decides to flee the kingdom. He has this moment with Jonathan where David says Saul is trying to kill him, that it already happened before. And Jonathan just is not privy to this moment. But then Jonathan decides he's going to put out some feelers, kind of suss it out. He tells David to hide while he does so. And David then intentionally misses an important celebration. So on the second night of that celebration, Jonathan tells his father, Saul, that he allowed David to go to a different feast, which sets Saul into, this, in this, into a fit of rage. And it's that rage that causes him first to, for David to be put to death. And when Jonathan kind of questions his father like as to why, uh, he becomes even more uh, enraged, particularly at Jonathan. And he tries to throw a spear at him, intending to kill him in this fit of rage. And so Jonathan leaves and he tells David to flee. And he does this at great personal sacrifice to himself because Jonathan had already given up the kingdom and now he was going against the king himself at great personal risk to keep David safe. Because as with anything that we steward, there is a cost. There is a cost. But when we recognize that everything that we are given as gods, then we can hold what we have with open hands, realizing that God will continue to provide. And when it comes to our friendships, there will be a sacrifice in it because a relationship built on self-service will quickly fall apart. You know, Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, this is our third week of our stewardship series. And oftentimes stewardship series talk about how our time, our talents, and our treasures are all God's to begin with. We love like a three um, installment series. But I think friendship and particularly stewarding our friendship, is that one of the greatest litmus tests for how we are stewarding everything else God has given us. Because relationships require a sacrifice of our time. They require a sacrifice of our talents. And they require a sacrifice of our treasures. It means that in humility, we count others' time as important, more important than our own. It means we give of our talents to serve one another. Friendship often means a financial cost. This is why stewarding our relationships is the antidote to shallow discipleship, because it, it demands and it tests all other areas of our, disciple, of our discipleship and our stewardship. Because God, I think, has given us friends to have connection, to have community, to fulfill that need, but to also expose perhaps where we need to steward, steward God's gifts better. Because stewardship is a matter of discipleship. And as we look more and more like Jesus each day, it means our time, our talents, and our treasures also look more and more like Jesus would each day because they count others more significant than ourselves. So when we take into account how we are stewarding our relationships God give us, it will also reveal how we are stewarding everything else God has given us too because that is one of the gifts of friendship that God gives us in our discipleship. So friends, I want to encourage us one more time to take stock right now alongside the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. How have we been stewarding our friendships? What maybe needs to give or be added in order to steward the relationships that God has given us well? You know, people often in the realm of faith belong before they believe. And I think friendship with people creates safe places. That's why they belong. For them to believe in Jesus and start that journey of faith. And then I think those friendships help maintain that journey of faith. Because friendships are powerful, not just because they are part of our design as humans, but because they can be a part of someone's faith journey or even their belief in Jesus. Because we are not meant to walk out discipleship alone. 
We need each other. We need our friends. We need people to be in our corner, to see and love and want the best for us, for the whole of ourselves, not just our best selves. And we need friends to help us steward what God has given us well. You know, I realized as I wrote this message that if I want to continue to be a more fully devoted follower of Jesus, then I need to steward the friendships I have well. Because to walk out discipleship on our own means we will quickly find our limitation. We will quickly find our ceiling. But when we walk out that discipleship in community with our friends, it means we could go further and deeper than we ever thought possible. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us both a desire and a design for friendship. God, I thank you that that friendship is there to fill that, and it's also there to continue to help us to become more and more like you each day. And so God, in a world uh, that is lonely and isolated and far away from each other, I pray God that you would bring people in our lives who could become those friends that are vulnerable, that are committed, that are uh, mutually sacrificial, God, I thank you that you call us friend. And that while you are our savior and our king and our Lord, you are also our friend. What an incredible gift to us. Thank you for modeling that in the gospels and in your life, Jesus. I pray that we would then walk that out as followers of you and that you would continue to disciple us by giving us people that we need to walk alongside that journey with us. God, we love you and we thank you. And we pray this in your name, amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining. And maybe today, as we finish this stream together, reach out to that friend, say hi, make a coffee with them, and walk out that journey of friendship with them. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.